0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, my friends. Welcome to Awaken. My name is Micah. Glad you're here. Uh, Welcome to Lent, if you didn't know, this is Lent. Uh, That's a pretty big deal in the church calendar. Um, And because of that, we are doing Lent gatherings, if you were not aware, on Wednesday nights. Uh, 5.30 dinner, 6.30 gathering, kid-friendly, so bring the whole crew. Dan and the church plant team are leading those, which has been great. I just show up on Wednesday night. I drove to church with my family, and I came into the parking lot, and there were cars everywhere. And I thought to myself, this is a bizarre experience. I've never had that happen before. It's normal for you every week, right? People are coming in, you're waving to folks. When I get here, like, the crows are out, and that's about it. Um, so that was, that was lovely. Uh, very, so thank you for that little gift, yep. Uh, also, if you didn't know, we're planning to plant a church here in a few months. So June 1st, uh, Dan will be heading out to start a new work. And uh, yeah, we're excited about that. To, if you're interested at all in that, please talk to Dan uh, or folks that are involved in that little endeavor, and they would be glad to share more about that. We're planning a little get-together on the 26th, so in the evening. If you're interested at all and want a little Q&A, we're working on setting that up, trying to find a location for that. So just mark your calendars if you're interested at all. We want to do a a Q&A for those who maybe have a few more questions about what's that look like and what's it going to be like, and la, 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 la. Sound good? Great. You all got uh, an hour more sleep than the first hour, so I have high hopes for you. (laughs) Because they were, like, dead. I felt like I had to resurrect them, you know. And I've never done that before. I've turned water into wine, but the whole resurrection thing, I just like, just escapes me every time I try it. I don't know. So we're in a series called Into the Wilderness. This is Lent, and we are exploring some different characters in the Bible who make their way or find their way into the wilderness and what that's like for them. Uh, For many of us, these kinds of experiences in faith and spirituality are uh, arguably normal for, for, for those who have walked uh, any, any length of time uh, in a spiritual life. This is a normal deal, uh, in the, being in the wilderness or the desert. And sometimes it finds you, and you don't choose it. But in Lent, we make a choice to turn towards an experience that often feels like the wilderness, where we strip things away so that we can hear more clearly And that's our hope and our our intention for Lent. So last week we talked about Jesus, right? Jesus goes into the desert. uh, He's led into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days and he's tempted by the adversary, the Satan. Uh, And we we looked at hunger and appetite and naming our hungers and appetites and uh, entrusting them to God, trusting that in God we have everything that we need. So this week we want to look at Moses, a very uh, bizarre and probably... uh, Listened to and heard story by many, Moses at the burning bush. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. There are some Bibles in the pews in front of you if you'd like to follow along. And if you would, please stand and we will read from the text, starting in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush burns, or why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Pray with me. God, here we are this morning as your church, one small little part of it in this corner of the world. And we're grateful that we step into uh, a flow, a tradition, a story, a river of people who have faithfully walked before us, and we recognize that, Lord willing, if you don't come back before, this will carry on into the future long after we're gone. And so we want to be faithful. We want to be found uh, saying yes to your invitation to participate with you in the work of redemption, the work of restoring, the work of renewal, in our hearts, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our worlds. And so we gather around this story, which we believe to be from you, and we say, speak to us, God, for we are here listening. We pray in the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. About five years ago, uh, right after we started Awaken, we did a Lent series, and I decided that I would add something to my life instead of take something away. I didn't grow up in the church calendar liturgy world, and so I felt like I had the freedom to kind of do whatever I wanted with Lent. You know, most people take something away, I decided to add something. So I added... uh, This practice of trying to meet with God in the morning before my day started. And so I, uh, I, I, in our old house, our basement stairs came down and then underneath it there was a little cubby hole. So I put blankets and pillows in there and I sort of put a little curtain over it and I lit candles and had a little music maker and would sort of start my day with with God or attempt to at least for 40 days. I didn't realize how weird that would sound to you all coming from your pastor that this was this new thing I was going to add to my life <laughs> during Lent. So, if you, any of you have ever, you know, struggled to spend time with God on a daily basis, you're the only one. <laughs> Nobody else does. You're alone in this. No, I'm kidding. Uh, even me. And so I, I would do that, and uh, I told my kids, like, this is the prayer closet. So if you'd like to go in there, you're welcome to. There's markers and you can write on the wall. So if you have a prayer you'd like to write, you can write it on the wall, which actually inspired our little prayer closet. Did you know you can write prayers on the wall over there? Feel free. Uh, The only place in the church, please, somebody decided to write on James' office wall and desk. That's not available to you or the children. So over there it is. Uh, And so I would write prayers on the wall. And so underneath a coat of primer and a couple coats of paint to whoever has our house now are these prayers that sort of marked my journey through Lent that year. And I remember one in particular that I wrote on the wall and it was basically to this effect. Uh, God, I feel like I'm being led into the wilderness. I feel like there is some kind of a desert experience that you are inviting me into and while I don't understand what will come of it or what will happen, I'm, I'm willing and I say yes. Like here I am. Right? Hineni. And uh, in fact, that, that fall, I ended up going to Israel with some folks. And I thought for sure, for sure, that if God was going to speak to me while I was in, in, in Israel, it would be in the desert. We had a day where we were going to go to the desert and spend it out there in the wilderness. And I was like, oh yeah, God's going to totally speak to me out there in the wilderness. And ironically enough, it was like the total opposite of that. It was like in the middle of Jerusalem on a, whatever day, the bar mitzvahs and the bat mitzvahs, all the kids come and they have merrymakers you can rent them and they make merriness horns and, and shofars and jingling things and dancing, and it was an absolute circus. But this is the spot where, uh, this is the southern wall of the temple where the people would have gone up into the temple uh, mount uh, up these beautiful stairs there. And that's where the Lord really uh, spoke to me, which was kind of the end of this wilderness experience that I felt like God was inviting me into five years ago in Lent or so. Today, I want to look at two ideas or two questions that come from this text with Moses at the burning bush. And the questions are how do, we get our, how do we get there? How do we find ourselves in the wilderness? Maybe you're there and you haven't chosen it. Maybe you have intentionally as this discipline of Lent. But how do we get there? And then, when we're there, what's required of us? And I think that this story from Moses in Exodus three speaks to a, a few things. I'm, I'm never the kind of person who likes to say, you know, well, it's right here in the text. If you just do these things, dot dot dot, it's three point sermon, everybody. Bam, how you like that? It's not that easy, right? And yet, there's wisdom here that we see in Moses' life and his experience in the wilderness that I think will help shape and inform our experiences and journeys. So, remember, last week we talked about the word wilderness comes from another word, debar and it means to speak or spoke. So if you look at the people in the the Bible who find themselves in the wilderness, inevitably, it it, it happens that God's voice is heard in the wilderness by these people. And so scholars and people who study the Bible would call this a motif, uh, like a reoccurring pattern that you see again and again and again. When someone finds their way into the wilderness, God speaks to them. Uh, Another motif that often is connected to the wilderness is this number 40. If you've been around Awaken before, you've probably heard this, but as, as a review, we can't talk about Moses at the burning bush without talking about 40 just for a second. 40 is an important number in the Hebrew scriptures. Numbers in general are important and they're often symbolic in the Hebrew text, but 40 is one of them. The number seven, of course, is the number of completion. The number 12 shows up as the Israelites and the tribes of Israel and so on and so forth. But 40 is arguably one of the most important numbers in the Bible. And when it shows up, You often have an experience of death and an experience of rebirth. So you could argue that 40 is a gestational period for new birth or new life to emerge. Did you know that nine months is not the actual time that a baby is in the belly of a mama? It's 40 weeks. And so 40, when it shows up in the Bible, it's like... Everybody, clue, right? Hey, like red flags are flashing. Uh, Something is dying and something is being born. Which is a fascinating way to read through the Bible. And when 40 shows up, ask the question, what's dying and what's being born? Certainly one could argue for Moses. And his life, ironically enough, is split up into three equal segments of take a wild guess. 40 years. Zero to 40, he's the prince of Egypt, right? Born in the house of of Pharaoh, grown up as the prince of Egypt. 41 to 80, he's a shepherd wandering in the wilderness of Midian. And 81 to 120, he's the deliverer of the the Israelites from from Egypt in the Exodus story. In each one of those, as you look at Moses' life, you could do a whole study on this, about what dies and what is born in this new season as he enters it. So 40 is very important. Just sort of keep that in mind as we talk about this these two questions. How do we find ourselves there and what is required? Um, I want to look at a couple of moments right before Exodus 3 where we see Moses and the events that lead to him being in the wilderness in Exodus 3. So turn back in Exodus 2. We'll start in verse 11. It says this, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, have you ever seen a child do that before they're about to hit their brother? (laughs) You know, maybe you've never seen that. I saw that a lot growing up, you know. Looking this way and that, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. That didn't happen growing up, but the other part did. The next day, he went out and saw the two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the rung, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. And Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Midian, if you didn't know, is literally and figuratively for Moses, but literally the desert. It is the wilderness. It's like East Bethel. You know? (laughs) It's like on 65, you go through it to get somewhere else, but who stops in East Bethel? If you're from there, I don't mean any offense to you, but can we be honest about that fact, right? Midian, it's like the backside of nowhere, and this is where he is. It's literally the wilderness, and it's figuratively this desert experience of, I was born as the prince of Egypt in the most powerful place on the planet, in the most civilized and and forward-thinking place of any place on the planet, and now I'm a shepherd on the backside of East Bethel. That's the desert if I've ever heard of it. But how do you find yourself there? Like, what gets you there? If you're there and you didn't choose it, or maybe you're there and you did, but how do we find ourselves in the wilderness? I think first and foremost you could say this, by doing what's right. I want to look at this passage in chapter 2 and turn it a couple of different times, and I think you could argue each of these points And each of them have some semblance of truth to them, uh, which is kind of how the rabbis used to talk about the word, that it's like this multifaceted gem, and you can turn it just a little bit and never run out of angles to look at the scriptures. It's always alive and working. So that's what I want to do a couple times. How do you find yourself there? By doing what's right. For the first time in his life, at 40, Moses says, I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. Right? He's never identified. He's sort of been... Raised in secret, if you remember the story, right? Mom puts him in an ark, sends him down the Nile, found by the pharaoh's daughter. Ironically enough, nursed by the mother. It's like, come on, you can't make that up. (laughs) Nursed by the mother of the child, underneath the pharaoh's nose, and nobody knows about it. He's raised as the prince of Egypt, and the first time in his life he says, I'm with them. And that oppression that's happening, that slavery, no more. And he stands up and does what's right. Now sometimes, unfortunately, doing what's right leads to violence or doing things maybe you wouldn't do normally. I remember in ninth grade, I was st- sitting in biology class. I think I've told this story before. Uh, but a friend of mine who, ironically enough, goes, their kids go to my kid's school. <laughs> so I'm in the library the other night, and I'm like, Jessica Kaderka? Sure <laughs> enough. So Jessica's in ninth grade biology class with me, and this other kid, unnamed, uh, he's like yipping and yapping at her and saying mean things about her. And I stand up. I was a very small child in ninth grade. I was a late bloomer, as they say. So I say, like, hey, you, knock it off. Quit talking to her like that. And the whole class is like, ooh, you going to get it. And I was going to get it. I got it, big time. After class, unnamed said person comes out of the class, and he is just looking for me. And then it's like. Classic, like sandlot, you know. The people all gather around and everyone's going, fight, fight, fight. And I'm like, no, no, no. I do not want to fight this kid. He's a giant. And he punches me right in the face. Like, if you've ever been cold cocked, like with a fist, not a slap, but like knuckles, it is an alarming and jarring experience. It was awful. <laughs> I saw stars, literally. So I got up and ran away. But when you stand up for something that's right, sometimes it leads you to places that you don't think are coming. For Moses, he stands up for what's right, and then he's led, driven into this wilderness experience. Sometimes you find yourself there because you did what's right. Sometimes you find yourself there because you did what was wrong. We're going to turn this and look at it different ways, right? One could argue, especially from a Jesus perspective looking back, from a Jesus from a Jesus lens one could argue that Moses's choice to return violence with violence is exactly the wrong thing to do because he keeps violence in the system. Jesus in the crucifixion stands and says, "I'm taking violence and scapegoating and the need for someone innocent to die to save everybody else. I'm taking it out of the system once and for all so it never has to happen again." And so then violence is never the right ex- expression or response to violence, because it keeps it in the loop. It's like a feedback loop. So one could argue that Jesus' ethic is a pacifist ethic, that never is violence the response to violence. Turn the other cheek, he says. So sometimes we find ourselves there in the desert because we've done what's wrong, and we're sleeping in the bed that we made. I was a freshman in college, and I was a, at the end of the year, I was, a, I was an athlete, I played golf, not for long, But I played on the college golf team, and so at the end of the year, our final for New Testament, I was traveling. We had a tournament, and so I wasn't able to take the the test. And so my professor was like, "Sure, you can take home, take it home. Uh, You can finish it, turn it back in. Not an open book test, but it's a take home test. You might see where this is going." So I'm in my dorm room, alone, bad idea. Should have taken it in the library with other people around, didn't. I'm in my dorm room. I studied for this thing, and I know the answer to this one question. And there it is. My textbook is right in front of me. I can see it like it is yesterday. And I'm like, this is one question, right? It's just one question. So I take it down. I get the answer. I take it, put it back. I earned an A on the test. I cheated. Uh, I went home. I didn't tell anybody about this. And I went home and that summer was an absolute desert of spirituality. It was awful. It was horrible. It felt like God was a million miles away from me. I couldn't hear anything. I didn't feel anything. I felt like I was dead and numb, like the lights were turned off and I'm trying to find the doorway. It was awful. I was was on the grounds crew at a golf course and I would like mow the fairways and I would hear the voice in my head, you're a cheater, like all the way down the deal, and all the way back, all summer long. It was terrible. Sometimes you find yourself in the desert because you reap what you sow, right? Sometimes you find yourself in the desert because of fear. Moses flees for his own life. He kills a man, and then they're after him. And so what drives him into the wilderness is fear. How many of us have found ourselves in the wilderness knowing where we've come from but not knowing where we're going because of fear? Because we're afraid of whatever it might be, that person, that relationship, taking that risk. And and if I can just maybe color the commentary a little bit here, Uh, Based on what we know about human consciousness and development, like when a human comes comes in contact with their capacity and power, in this case, the ability to take the life of another human, that messes people up. Like if you've ever studied war and what happens to soldiers when they have to take the life of another human, some people never come back from that. And so imagine that you are faced with your own, like, that's in you. Sufjan Stephen has this great song, John Wayne Gacy, and the last line is like, even at my worst, like, that's in me too. And so to be face-to-face with your own power and your capacity to end another human life. Think about it from Moses' perspective. He's an Egyptian, and Moses just kills the only thing he's ever known his own identity as an Egyptian, or the only thing he's ever been willing to say out loud and say, I'm that. And he empowers and takes care of and, and defends the, the identity of the person whom he's never been able to say, I'm that. And his whole world gets turned upside down. Sometimes we find ourselves in the desert because of fear, and we're driven there. Sometimes we find ourselves because we've done what's right, We've done what's wrong, sometimes fear, and sometimes you're just doing your job. (laughs) I think it's, we have to be honest with this fact. When you read Exodus 3, Moses is, he's a shepherd. So he takes the sheep out into the desert where there's food. He's just doing his job. Why does he find himself in the desert at the mountain of God? Which by the dancing way, horev, comes from the word cherev, and it means destruction. So the mountain of the Lord is also known as the mountain of destruction. Be encouraged, church, if you want to meet with the Lord. You're only going to have something destroyed. Have a good day. So Moses goes out there because he's just doing his job. And he finds himself in the desert, figuratively and metaphorically, meeting with God. I think it's important for us to say that because sometimes when we find ourselves here, there's no explanation Like, it's not if-then all the time. It's not cause and effect every time. Right. That's why I've gone through this exercise of turning this one event a couple of different ways to see it from a lot of different angles. Why? Because it's all here. Some of us find ourselves there because we did what's right. Some of us find ourselves there because we did what we shouldn't have done, because of fear, because we were just doing our job. And I say all of that to say... In our age, in our modern world, answers are the king. Our whole system is set up on answers. Our educational system is driven towards finding the answer. And so what we want is an answer for why are we here. And sometimes, there isn't one. How's that for wisdom from your pastor? Sometimes, I don't know. Here's what I do know. It all belongs. If God is God, and these scriptures testify to the nature of the divine, then somehow in the benevolent heart of God, it all belongs. It doesn't mean it was all intended. It doesn't mean it was all prescripted. It doesn't mean that the whole thing's a blueprint, but somehow in the great love and heart of God, God gathers it all in and says, I can work with this. However and why ever you find yourself there, This you know to be true. Take off your shoes because the ground upon which you stand is holy. This is where God speaks. So be ready. Why do we find ourselves there? Pick a reason. It's true. For somebody, at some point. The answer to that question is not always the best question to ask. Krista Tippett says... Questions elicit answers of their kind. Questions elicit answers of their kind. Sometimes that's not the best question to ask. What will be required? Now, here's a question worth asking. When you find yourself there, what should you do? What would be required of you? How do you navigate these spaces? Because they will find us all, if not by choice They will find us. So what is required? I think first you can say the assumption that God is at work all the time and everywhere. The assumption. We begin with the assumption that God is at work all the time everywhere. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, God showed up at church today? Oh man, the Holy Spirit was thick in this place and it came down upon us and it showed up in a way that was powerful. You've ever heard that before? I, I get, like the intent of that, but theologically, it's just untrue. <laughs> Can I say that out loud? The Bible does not assert that God shows up anywhere, but that you and I show up. Jacob said, "Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. God doesn't appear. God doesn't show up here and isn't there. God doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to awaken today. <laughs> the assumption that we should begin with is that God is at work all the time, everywhere, even in the desert, and when we begin with that assumption, we have eyes to see the ordinary Or the extraordinary amidst the ordinary. For Moses, he's a shepherd. He's been doing it for 40 years. Do you know what happens in the desert of Sinai to the bushes that grow out there? One in particular called a sna bush, which secretes a flammable resin. They often spontaneously combust. Did you know that? So what we think, holy cats, a burning bush. Like that would have been amazing. Lord, send me a burning bush. It would have happened. Like I guarantee you Moses had seen it before. If he'd been out there for 40 years doing the same thing every day for 40 years, driving these sheep through the desert of Sinai, past these bushes, guaranteed he's seen this before. But for some odd reason, this day, he notices. He has eyes to see. Maybe because he begins with the assumption that God is at work all the time and everywhere. God doesn't show up somewhere. We do. So what will be required of you? I would submit... Eyes to see. Eyes to see. Now I can see you all. (laughs) That illustration didn't go well. (laughs) What else will be required of you? Moses, in this passage, sees a bush burning, not consumed, and the text said he turns aside. Oh, my gosh. (sighs) We could do a lot with this. So I'm in Israel, right before this moment that I showed you a picture of, and I go up to the wall and I write my little prayer. It was the southern wall, but I figured it's all the temple, like the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall is where you jam the prayers in there. But I figure, hey, you know, this is my 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 moment. You know, it's, I'm at the wall here, so I jam my little prayer into the southern wall, and I come back down the stairs, and I just hear over and over and over again, like loudly in my head, "Kneel," and I'm like, "What the?" Neil, what are you talking, come on, and I, the Lord just continues to, like, and, and I usually do not have these kinds of experiences, friends, so you might be thinking, like, that sounds crazy, and I'm thinking, this sounds crazy, if I tell this story, it's going to sound weird, like bonkers, and God just keeps saying, Neil, kneel, kneel, and I'm thinking, That's going to seem so weird if I just walk up there and kneel next to the wall like nobody's ever done that before, Micah. Knelt before the wailing wall in Jerusalem. Come on. So I'm like, no, I will not kneel. And this is the eight, like uh, Enneagram. I'm an eight. This is the, the, like, hard driver. Uh, My little older brother who always told me what to do. So I'm like, no. I like that. The Lord is relentless though, right? Just relentless. And the word kneel in Hebrew is baruch and it means bless. Or the word bless is baruch and it means to kneel. And it was not, it it, it took a long time for this process to sort of, so finally I'm like, fine! I'll kneel. And I go up there and I kneel down and it's like that I just so desperately needed the desert freely come from the hands of God will you turn aside will you stop will you put down whatever objection you have to responding to whatever bizarre invitation you feel you might be getting when you have to explain it to your friends or your neighbors at Christmas will you just turn aside And then, if that's not enough, and I think this is fascinating, it's not until Moses asks a question that God speaks. Did you notice in the text before this moment when he says, why does the bush not burn up? It's not until that moment. Before that, it's an angel of the Lord. And the text is really clear. It's an angel. And then when he says, why does, when Moses knows he doesn't know, God says, Moses, Moses. Why twice? Samuel, Samuel. Micah, Micah. Something is dying and something is being born. Sometimes when we're there, It's a question. When we finally say, I give. I don't know. I can't find my way out. I can't fix it. I can't stop it. I can't. Why does the bush burn up? Oh, you're listening. Moses, Moses. The doors open when he knows that he doesn't know. So what will be required of you? Do you assume that God is at work everywhere, all the time? Will you turn aside and just say, I need a little help here? I mean, the Beatles said it. It's got to be true. Everybody needs a little help from their friends. (laughs) Right? My most recent experience of the desert and I'll close with this, was that was the end of it. And it began a few years before that, where I felt this sense of being led into the wilderness. A number of events that led me there, but I very much felt like this blanket sort of covered me, and it was dark, and I, I like a I was fumbling around in a room trying to find a handle on a door that didn't exist. And over the... Over that time period, what was brought to the surface lovingly and gently by God was this like low-grade anger and bitterness that was below the surface of every part of my life. My parenting, how I pastored, how I taught, uh, how I was a husband, how I was a friend, which came from a long story that's too long to tell today. And in that experience of being in the wilderness... That's what came to the surface, and that's what was invited to die. And as that began to die in me, it came out in the form of a question for me. And the question was like, God, I'm not sure that this anger and this bitterness is going to serve me going forward. Arguably, it's what helped plant this church in some ways. Like, sometimes anger fuels something that's good, but there may come a time in your life when it no longer serves you. And that has to die so that something else can be born. And what began to be birthed in me was a desire which I never had before. It was always, I didn't get it, and I didn't have it, and why not? And what began to emerge in me was a desire to be for others what I didn't feel like I got. To be a a way maker for my, my own daughters and my spiritual daughters who are among us to clear paths for people, and to be a father to spiritual sons that God has entrusted me with. When you find yourself in the wilderness, how you got there, maybe it's clear and maybe it isn't. And that's okay. What will be required of you, I would suggest is at least some of the things we learn from Moses. Will you turn aside, trusting, assuming that God is at work everywhere, all the time, even in the mundane and the ordinary? Do you have eyes to see God at work in your life? Will you turn aside? And when you know that you don't know, just stop because you're there, you're there, you're there. Take off your shoes, because the ground upon which you're standing is holy. Buckle up. Would you pray with me? God, as we move towards uh, a moment of silence, I pray that for me and my friends in this room, that however we find ourselves this morning, whether it's intentionally on this journey of Lent towards a wilderness experience, where we strip some things away so that we can hear you more clearly, or Because we didn't choose it and it found us, we find ourselves in the dark wondering what direction to move or go with no answers and lots of questions. I pray that like Moses, like Jesus, like Elijah, like David, like Abraham, like Hagar, like John the Baptist, that you would find us there. That our eyes would be open to your presence, which is at work, everywhere, all the time. And so as we move towards silence, we attempt to collect ourselves from the places that we've been. The quieter we become, the more that we hear and we want to hear. We know that this silence is pregnant with possibility, so God, lead us away from the temptation to fill it, but to trust that you will so here we are. As we close, uh, I want to invite us to say uh, this prayer and sending and benediction together. The church has been praying this for a long, long time. Um, so let's pray it together today. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Love you. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Community. See you next time.